0: Hey, gorgeous. Welcome to Bombshell Radio. I'm your host, Jackie Dixon, best selling author of the Bombshell Manifesto, and my mission is to help you live your manifesto as a biblical bombshell who is healthy, holy, and hot, fully on fire for God, even in the tough areas of body, beauty, and intimacy. I believe our calling is to be fiercely feminine, spreading the gospel as a powerful woman living out her assignment in all ways. Each week, I'll be giving you motivation, inspiration, and top tips for bombshell living, as well as interviews with bombshells at the top of their game in health, marriage, motherhood, business, and beyond. So you can be inspired to live your own bombshell journey, exploding onto the scene in a way that sets you free and sets the world on fire. Ready, bombshell? If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app. You can find Bombshell Radio in iTunes, on SoundCloud, Stitcher, YouTube, and Himalaya. And while you're there, be sure to leave me a review. I'd love to know your thoughts, and I'd love to know who you'd like me to interview next. Hey, JoJo. Welcome to Bombshell Radio. I am so excited to have you here. How on earth did we connect? I think it was one of those like random Instagram meetings or something where it's like, I vibe with you. Your story is awesome. We should talk more. And then um, we started chatting and I heard kind of your background, which is just unreal. I'm about to read your bio to the listeners in a second. And I'm so excited for them to hear from you because, you know, your story is quite unique. But I feel like, as you know, because it's what you write about in your book, it translates to so many other abusive situations that are so common. So let me just jump in with your bio here so people get an idea of who you are, and then we'll dive into our our chat. But I am really pumped for this. So JoJo Dries is an author and a speaker. Her book, The Lotus, How I Beat the Patriarchy, can be found on Amazon and was released in June 2018. It's not only a motivational book, but a gripping, detailed account of what it was like living in a home with a culture of abuse, and now JoJo removed herself from those circumstances. JoJo's book gives readers the tools and a plan to remove themselves from the toxic situations they may be in. The book is raw, relatable, and true. The principles JoJo identifies will work for anyone in any toxic situation, whether it is personal or professional. JoJo has owned and run several companies and is a national speaker, having presented before thousands at a time. Her presentations, which she gives across the country, appeal to a wide variety of audiences from every walk of life. Her boldness in telling a story we are now seeing repeatedly, abusive power, sexuality, religion, and truth, endears her to the audience in its authenticity. JoJo is based out of Rochester, Michigan, where she lives with the love of her life, their two sons, and their adorable rescue puppy, which is about as the happy ending as it can possibly sound, right? I love it. Love it, love it, love it. So let's just go ahead and dive in. I mean... I want people to go get your book, end of story, but kind of give us a bit of the background. You've got a pretty extraordinary tale of kind of what, as I recall when we chatted, it it almost went in phases of like before your family got into this stuff and then they got into it and it got really weird and then you had to get out. So lead us through that story. I know it's going to be kind of probably a long answer, but describe this childhood abuse as it kind of began and then you recognized it and then you realized you needed to get out somehow. Absolutely.
1: Well, first of all, thanks for having me here, Jackie. I'm I'm real yeah. honored to be on, on your show. It's, oh, uh, yeah, you've uh, you struck me again. Our stories, you know, resonated as far as your message um, to the world at large. And thank you for the messages you're getting out there. Um, you know, I like to reshare what you post because I think it's very relatable to what women especially are going through, um, in this day and age. Um, but yes, my story, uh, began when I was a child. Um, you know, life was great for a minute until I was about, um, so early teens, um, uh, sort of like the tween years, the teen years, uh, the abuse really started. And, um, throughout the years, you, right before that, uh, there was a lot of, uh, initial abuse. So, you know, things like, Um, you know, getting whacked across the face or dragged across the room or whatnot. These are things that essentially I thought was a normal part of life uh, for much of my life. Um, And then in the early teen years, uh, the physical abuse got really bad. Um, The way it started was uh, it, it had a lot to do with religion as well as culture. So I grew up in an Arabic um, with an Arabic background, and I'll put it out there right away that not all Arabs are like this, and it's not uh, segregated to the Muslim Arabs or the Christian Arabs. It's just the mentality, uh, the patriarchal mentality that they grow up with over there. Uh, in the old country, and then they translate that to the United States when they immigrate here. Um, Just that mentality is very patriarchal. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's very misogynistic. The women have no say. Um, It's kind of sit down and be quiet, you know, do the house stuff and, you know, leave us to the rest. Um, So that mentality was how we grew up. And then my dad, quote unquote, and so I call him abuser one in my book, and so I'll call him abuser one, I do that in all my interviews, Um, so I don't really relate to him as my father, because he was such a horrible, or he is such a horrible individual, Uh, so abuser one found Jesus, uh, so he said, and you and I both know this is not the Jesus of the Bible, but he found Jesus at at a seminar, and he said, all right, we're going to follow this cult, And so the seminar was basically a cultish type of organization that he connected with and said, these people have the same principles that I believe in and that this is how I want to run my family. So through the years, that was just like the first cult that he found, but through the years, he would find cults like that. So when you say in and out, that's kind of how it was, is he would latch himself on and latch us in turn onto the cult who would be very... um, rules-based. It would be a very rules-based organization. You must do these 10 things as your gateway to heaven. Mm-hmm. And again, you and I both know there's, you know, there's one way to heaven, you know, through Jesus Christ. But with with his mentality, it was, unless you follow these 10 steps, um, you're not going to be saved. Mm-hmm. So if you ever veered from that, you would get abused. Um, so for me, the the abuse began as physical abuse. So every time, and <clears throat> You know, I think that there's a truth to this whole many are called, few are chosen. I think that internally, we have uh, something that resonates or doesn't resonate with a certain mindset. So early on in my childhood, I said, this is not right. There, you know, my siblings kind of went along with it, and they still do um, the mentality that this is acceptable, this is okay to behave in this abusive manner. um, And we all must follow the patriarch. And as it were, it was abuser one. Also, abuser one trained who I call abuser two, which was my older brother. He trained him to basically follow and emulate his footsteps. So he was two years older than me, but through the years, the mantle kind of went to him as, okay, you basically have authority over your siblings, similar to the cult leader having authority over us and me having authority over mom and the siblings. My older brother then was given the mantle as well. So um, there was a, a huge part of the abuse that had to do with my older brother as well. Abuser too. Um, he would get physical. Um, the sexual abuse began when there. So I talk about the story in the book, and I think it's very relevant um, because a lot of young women don't know what that what that is. So in our culture, uh, whether it was our religious culture or our Arabic culture we were not taught anything about sexuality. It was a very taboo topic. We couldn't even talk about it or what that looked like. Um, So when I was being sexually abused, I didn't understand that's what it was. The first time it happened was because I had disobeyed direct orders from abuser one, and I was relegated to my bedroom. You know, go to your room. So the physical abuse happened after I disobeyed orders, then relegated to the bedroom. And then it's basically like punishment, like isolation until you do what they want. Mm-hmm. So I was isolated in the bedroom for hours at that point, And then he walked in and basically, essentially in so many words says, you know, have I broken you down? Um, so I'm crying. I'm saying, okay, yes, you know, get me out of here. I'm good. I'll do whatever you say. Um, I've been isolated to the point that I'm willing to listen to whatever your order was. And um, he then began to sexually abuse me. And I didn't know what that was. You know, he got on top of me and it began this whole cycle of, you know, uh, the door was closed, you know, the whole cycle of this is what I'm going to do to you because of this, pun- this is your punishment for doing this. I'm going to get my pleasure off of you. This was the one thing I never told a uh, any of my siblings. Now my siblings saw the rest of it. They saw the physical abuse. So fast forward a few years, physical abuse starts, my early teens, fast forward a few years. His ultimate uh, dream was to start a family business. So a few years into my teens, we started a family business and the abuse carried on to that. So it was basically, I needed to do the back office and not put myself out there in any way and abuser one and abuser two were the face of the organization. Um, he, uh, as as time went on, uh, he would again attach to various religious organizations. I would protest this every single time. The businesses grew to the point where uh, we were making good money. So people in our community thought, oh, you know, we were staples at church. Mm. You know, your staples in the business community, you're getting the reputation, we're getting the PR out there, the news stations are talking about us in these various businesses. So this put my silence deeper in, because how do you tell somebody who thinks you're basically equivalent to a deacon at church, that this guy's abusing you? Mm -hmm. So again, the religious organizations, um, you know, that he attached himself to sort of have that same patriarchal mentality. So being in and out had, I think, a lot to do with any time it got close to anyone disagreeing with him, that's when he would back off and then go to a different organization. Meanwhile, we're all, you know, being abused. Um,
0: so do you want me to go through till when I got out? Like, yeah, I mean, basically okay. that would be my following question is, you know, Forget. what were your thoughts and all this? We've already kind of clarified. You had a sense that this is wrong, you know, that you... You might have been in those moments where it's like, fine, sure, I'll do whatever you say, just, just let me be free, but and you had some kind of awareness that this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Now, why do you feel that your siblings didn't catch that, or was it a lack of courage, or did you have any idea why? So I've, I've often thought about it, and I've uh, through
1: the years, uh, I've had a therapist, and I've asked her as well, and so my my conclusion to why they are still there and why they never fought back is two things. Um, first of all, yes, it takes a lot of courage and a lot of bravery. And I didn't understand what that really meant. People, when I finally moved out and established my own path, kept saying, you're so brave, you're so courageous. Mm -hmm. For me, it was just like, enough is enough. I'm not going to be treated this way anymore. And I'm done. Um, But but the second thing is, what people who are not in an abusive situation don't always see is the Beautiful moments that you get and the fulfillment that you get from the abuser when you have the positive moments so as our businesses grew for example, we would we were all travelers. We traveled overseas We traveled across the country, you know um, And anytime you were doing what the abuser wanted and he gave you that uh, or she gave you gives you that uh, Approval per se that stamp of approval it feels good yeah. And so there's a certain high that comes from that and you end up being so victimized that you live for that high. And so um, there's a brainwashing that happens with that. Mm-hmm. And unless you're constantly fighting against that brainwashing, you just go with it and you say, oh, this, this feels good. This, I mm-hmm. you know, it's my fault. I, you know, cause they would always say you're pushing his buttons. It's your fault that he's doing that. You know, you know just what to say to, like, turn him into this abuser. Um, And so there's a certain fulfillment in that uh, approval. And I think that they are still giving that. Um, Many of my siblings are still traveling across the country doing their business that, you know, we created so long ago. Um, they still in the community uh, that hasn't, you know, understood that what I'm saying is the truth. Um, So in their various communities, they're like the you know, the big shots, and, and so there's a high in your head that comes with that. And I think that's also why my mom, um, you know, I will never give a wife and a, a mother, for sure, uh, an excuse, per se. You know, I look at my own kids, and I say, you know, you know, my love story, and as much as I love my husband, you know, God forbid, if he ever even got close to anything, i, I <laughs> right? you know, uh-uh, these are my yeah. children, you know. Yeah. Um, And so I will never understand truly why my mom never defended me um, within that abuse. But I think that a big reason for that is again, the brainwashing that you get when you get the approval and they live for that. Um, But I do, I think there's courage involved. And when people ask me now, you know, about what to do and how to help themselves out of a situation, I tell them, find it, like find it down in your gut because it's there, you know, it's, we're not wired to be treated that way as humans Um, and you might have pushed it down a long time but it's there somewhere Mm -hmm. and that's what you need to like pull out you know and get Um, so but yeah so then in my late teens um, the businesses were growing life was great in my early 20s um, again businesses are growing but we're traveling to all of these uh, seminars that were thrown because we would put on large events for the industry. We were in anywhere from 20 people to 2,000 people. We would speak in front of, Um, and anytime I would open my mouth to say anything against, you know, what was happening or if I had an idea um, or we'd be in an attorney meeting and I would say, you know, this or that is how we should structure things. Basically it was shut up and be quiet, sit in your corner, you know, we're in control. So the, the events would pile up on each other, and it would be something like something so small that I would say that would turn into such drama and abuse, and I would always question that. So finally, in my mid twenties, I um, had so so my love story ties into why to how I removed myself. Um, so in my mid twenties, um, I had an epiphany because I was in love with. Uh, my now husband, um, for since I was nine, and I always said I would marry him, and they always said you can never marry him. He a he's not Arabic and he's not of our you know culture. So although he was Christian, which is how I was raised, um, he was not of our culture. And B, looking back on it, they could tell he wasn't going to listen to them. He wasn't going to go under this authoritative you know situation that had been created. So, um, so they kept tearing us away from each other. So in our teen years, um, it was just friendship. In the early twenties, it was he looked at me one day and said, "Hey, I really like you. I want to ask your dad if I could take you out on a date." And I was basically like, "It's about time! Like I've been in love with you my whole life, basically." So, uh, so he did. He talked to uh, abuser one and said, "You know, I'd like to take your daughter on a date." And so, if you could imagine, like the Godfather movie. It was very much like that. So he was basically like, "No, this will never happen. You can never date my daughter, and don't even think about it. Or you know, you'll find yourself out in the field somewhere." Literally, he <laughs> took him. Um, literally, he took him into our um, our work van at the time because we had an air duct cleaning company. So he took him into that van and he took him for a ride. And he, when they came back, Paul looked at me and said, "We can't date. Like your dad's not going to allow this." Mm-hmm. So then in our mid-20s, I basically um, went against the family and did a sort of like a secretive dating relationship with Paul. They didn't know we were talking, um, and we just started kind of falling in love. And within a few months, we were deeply and madly in love, and so that's it. So we went to to, uh, to abuser one and said, we're going to get married. And he said, well, basically choose between him or us. If you choose him, we'll never talk to you again. Mm. If you choose us, you can never speak with him again. Mm. At the time, because that was all I knew was my family and our businesses, I chose my family. So we separated ways, broke each other. Like I broke his heart. I broke my heart. It was like you were like ripping a piece of you know my body out of me. Um, and I thought I'd never see this guy or talk to him ever again. But that was my first I would say, huge major catalyst to like removing myself. The second one also had to do with the man, started dating a guy um, a few years later, and he was visiting me, and this was the last time I let abuser one touch me. This guy was visiting me in my family's mansion. Um, My abuser one didn't want him there, so he told me to remove him and say, you know, get out of the house. I refused, and he started beating me up, And pulling me by the hair, it dragged me across the room. I was 29 at the time. I said, this is the last time. I will never, never let him touch me this way again. And I started living with friends. Moved out the next day, started living with friends in their houses. And he never did touch me and abuse me ever again. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when I did that, and I took my life, and I basically jumped without a net. Didn't know who I was going to live with. Didn't know how I was going to get a job. Because mind you, my money, which I didn't really have money, it was all a big family pot, my money was coming from the family businesses. So how am I going to make a money? How how am I going to make money? How am I going to pay bills? You know, How am I going to do anything? I had no idea because for 29 years, I'd lived under this roof. So when I jumped without a net, and I will say this loud and clear, God provided the net. It was literally like out of the woodwork. People were like, Here's a, here's a great property to rent. It was very inexpensive and a very safe place. Uh, got a job that was like an insane amount of money for my qualifications at the time. Um, and he was a client, a PR client, and he said, I will pay you this salary and you will still be my PR client. Mm. And I will still be your PR client, so you'll get the monthly bonus from that. Um, people started providing furniture and kitchenware and all kinds of things. And then I went online to Match.com to get a date because I was going to a family wedding and I didn't want to go alone, be like, oh, this loser is alone and she doesn't have her family. Match.com, 30 days after I joined, matched me with Paul, the love of my life, as our match of the day. so, so for me, the catalyst was all these things. And then finally, when I jumped and removed myself from this abusive situation,
0: um, just the doors were opening mm. wide. <laughs> mm. That's amazing. So a couple things that make me want to ask from that is one, what was your family's reaction to you leaving? I mean, was it clean? Like we're never going to speak to you again and just boom, they shut you out or were there more repercussions it seemed? Okay. So
1: uh, at first it was clean. No, we'll never talk to you again. You mean nothing to us. Um, You know, don't, don't even, don't even call. Like they blocked me from their numbers. All the social media was deleted, all of that type of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But then when Paul came in the picture, so that, so when I moved out was early spring of 2011. So spring, summer, there was this very distant sort of relationship. Um, and then I started, right before I connected with Paul, I started um, going back home and just showing up on the weekends and being like, treating it like I was in college and I was gone for the week and acting like their distance and their silence when I would come home to the abuser's house was was um, like I would ignore it. Like I just felt like if I just kept going back, they would accept me back. Um, and they didn't, so then when I reconnected with Paul and I shared with him the situation, he called um, because he's an amazing man, and he called and tried to reconnect us and reunite us, and because of his influence, they actually started being very loving and kind. Um, They hosted a family dinner for us, um, sort of of wrapped us back in the fold, and then um, Paul went to them and said, I'm going to propose. So this was October we reconnected, well middle of September 2011, middle of October we were really reconnecting Um, and then in November, around Thanksgiving, he went to them and said I'm going to propose, I'm going to propose on Christmas Eve. They said great, hugged him, kissed him, yay, happy, whatever, it's going to be a big happy family. The day before Christmas Eve, abuser one called him and said hey, we're going out of town, Taking the whole family, um, not going to be back till after the new year. And if you propose to my daughter, we'll never talk to you again. Mm-hmm. So just as any abuser would do, try to retake back control of the situation. Mm-hmm. And I was visiting Paul's family that weekend. We were all going to stay in in his parents' house and sort of it was going to be Christmas weekend at his parents. And, um, so I went and I was all excited. Yay. We're going to have Christmas weekend together and have to worry about my family. They're out of town and he's all stressed. So that night after uh, dinner. So the night before Christmas Eve, I looked at him and I was like, babe, like you've not been yourself on night. what is happening? He didn't want to tell me, did not want to tell me. And finally I go, Oh my God, abuser one called you, didn't he? Um, I know they're going out of town what did he say so he proceeded to tell me he's like I wasn't sure should I tell you and then you know you know that this is happening um, and then we don't go through with the proposal because I'm supposedly you know proposing tomorrow I going going to surprise you do I not tell you propose to you you say yes and then you're upset with me because your family's not on board again I was like, and I literally I went into a, a fit and I was like, we're not doing this again. You're mine, I'm yours, we're getting married, and if they don't like it, that's it. So he found a way to surprise me the next day. Um, and then then the silent treatment began. Mm-hmm. No, no talking. Then again over Christmas, I um in, like between Christmas and New Year, the week that week, I sent a long email to my family and I said I finally reconnect with the love of my life like you guys need to be happy for me I'm gonna start planning our wedding we're gonna get married very soon we've waited too long anyways so can we please have a meeting after Christmas I mean after you guys get back from the new year I got a response back basically yes like there was a lot of drama involved but basically yes so then middle of January beginning or middle of January we met What the meeting was, though, was basically their form of an intervention. It was the seven of them on one side of the room and me on the other, and they tried to basically say, you know, drop all affiliation, come back and live at home, apologize, and basically kiss abuser one and abuser two's ring. Mm. So I sat there for like two hours, and then I walked out, and silent treatment began again. So for the last seven years, it's been back and forth. Lots of, you know, I got pregnant. I would um, drive to an hour away to try to, you know, get together with them. I said, you know, now you have grandkids. Um, So for seven years, it's been a back and forth. And we're finally at a spot now where there's absolutely no communication. And I'm absolutely okay with it Mm. uh, because I know and, and every time something major happens, I call. Mm-hmm. You know, um, um, my brother had a baby. I called. My uh, you know, sister got married and didn't invite me. I called and wrote her a long letter. Um, Mother's Day comes. I called and say, Happy Mother's Day. My mom's birthday comes. Happy birthday. Um, but there's no affiliation. And I'm okay with that now because I've tried and I can go to sleep at night peacefully knowing I did the best I could.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's such a, a misunderstanding in the church, and I don't think it's at all biblical, where somehow we have to get people to be happy with us again, and that's making peace. You know, that's like doing the right thing. And especially this idea of biological family versus the family of God, right? I mean, the most stunning verse of many, there are quite a few in the Bible but is when Christ says, who are my mother and my brother, you know, those who do the will of God. And I mean, it's Mary, you know, it's not like she did anything wrong, you know, this is not an abusive family of origin he's coming out of. So, for, and I believe that in that verse, she's standing like right there in front of him. So how rude. Um, but what a massive point for Christ to make that our biological families are important and are to be loved, but with no more, with less um, you know, kind of loyalty than the cross itself, right? Leave your mother and your brother and pick up your cross and follow me. Um, And and with no more than we would for just for any other good person. And I'm not saying if you have a healthy family, you know, abandon them in their time of need, but there's so much manipulation that can be used like, well, we're family, we're family, we're family. And therefore all of these 15 things that have nothing to do with the Bible, nothing to do with your calling, but are put over you, in either harmless-ish ways or extreme abusive ways. And I think it's very difficult to get into this mindset of like, that's not, that's not of God. That's not of God at all. So talk a little bit about your own relationship with God through this. I mean, you know, you you were raised Christian per se, and that these cults probably had pieces of scripture and stuff enough that, you know, so how did you develop a relationship with God? And how did that evolve during or after whenever where, You know, you weren't like, you didn't see these people who follow Jesus, and you were like, heck with Jesus. You know, this is awful. So how did you kind of salvage the truth of salvation in all of this mess? I'm so glad you asked me this question because, um, and excuse me if I
1: choke up as I answer you. Um, Because um, in all of my, in my book, in my uh, speaking with people, in my speaking at, you know, at events or whatnot, I always tell this part um, because I literally think I would not be here today um, if it wasn't for him, and here's why. So, a lot of people say, you know, how do you believe in God after you are abused this way? Yeah. And for me, it's how do I believe in God, how do I not believe in God? Mm-hmm. Because there's something that happened to me when I was being abused. It's very hard to explain but it's like the way I compare it to is like uh, Footsteps in the Sand, that poem, which is how he carries us. So yes, I was being abused, but I can't tell you that how many times when I was being abused, when I literally felt out of body, like it wasn't happening to me, like I was watching it happen to someone else. And it wasn't because of which a lot of trauma happens and a lot of people say when you're being traumatized that happens but i literally felt the arms of jesus christ around me when this was happening mm. um, and so people say well well how do you believe in jesus if he let you experience that well here's my answer like we live in a broken world yep. you know the bible says over and over again you know it'll happen on the just and on the unjust you know just because it the sun came up in the morning doesn't mean that somebody did something good, so now the sun came up. Just because it rained doesn't mean that it rained because somebody did something bad. And that's kind of how I see life. Like, yes, there's cause and effect, you know, but the blind man came to him, and, and and the people around were like, well, what did his parents do that caused him to be blind? Well, his parents didn't do anything. Like, this was, this was done. I'm sorry. This was done for the glory of God. <laughs> and honestly, like... <clears throat> Honestly, I feel that very strongly that what happened to me happened for the glory of God. And I I don't say that in pride and, like, I don't say that, like, oh, my God, I'm so amazing. God's going to use me and God's using me. But truly, like, I don't feel like, like I could be making the impact that I'm making on people's lives um the women men children teenagers old people couples um you know that are coming to me in private and in public sending me emails messages calling me whatever um asking me to speak at about I, I I could not be making that impact if I didn't have the the experience that I had yeah. and the impact the our purpose is very clearly um, to point people towards him and to point people towards you know the glory and the 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 magnificent and the goodness of of him Um, he so so that's the one reason i believe in god and i did not turn my back per se you know to christ um the other thing is is Literally, the doors that have opened for me um, in my childhood, in my teen years, in my 20s, and now in my 30s, could not have opened because of like random circumstance. Like the things, if I if I had day like days, I couldn't like tell you all the things that have happened that are very clearly divine intervention. Mm. Um, you know, so a lot of people say, you know, the the cause and effect or or the power of positive thinking, or whatnot. I mean, granted, I've always been a positive person, you know, whether I was being abused or not. Just my outlook on life is just very naturally positive. Um, but you know, God's and then like the Paul thing. I mean, literally, I yeah, feel like God. I mean, come on, like how does that happen? Like <laughs> of the day. My, I mean, yeah, like like we ran in the same circles. It's not like we didn't run in the same circles. We went to like some of the same weddings, we realized, some of the same funerals. Like we knew the same people. We lived in the same vicinity. So for us not to see each other for three and a half years and then got to be like, oh, here he is in your match profile. Like you can't tell me that's random circumstance. Um, and then the healings, um, you know, I believe God is a is a healer. I, I can't imagine I would be this healed and whole. I know people go to therapy and they get healed, um, and that. And I have I've done the work and gone to therapy and, and talked to people and, you know, and you know, just yelled at God and yelled at life and all of it. You know, I've gone through the work, uh, but the healing that I've experienced from this abuse—the sexual, physical, emotional, verbal abuse. I just don't see it happening without God. Um, so yes, there's a lot of things that point me to say, I believe in Jesus Christ, and I wouldn't be alive today. I mean, that's the other thing is, there was physical abuse to the point of like, um, you know, I was in the hospital, you know, and it's like, well, how did I survive that, you know? Um, I, I was in the hospital for something the other day, and you know, they have to ask you these, these, these questions, you know? Yeah. And they're like, you know, are you being abused at home or I was like, well, many years ago, if you asked me this, like we were laughing, me and the, the nurse, you know. Um, but yeah, so that's how I believe in God and why He's still He's still
0: everything to me. <laughs> I love it. That's amazing. And you know, I think and it's not like I don't want to call it an honor, but there is something where, especially with what you see you versus your siblings, where you had the courage to leave this. And I almost feel like whether I think God kind of knows who may be more primed for that, perhaps based on how he designed them, but he also, we have free will, you know, and so we get to choose whether or not we act on that. And you had what it took to go out and be kind of this light bearer after this, whereas other people don't. So, um, you know, and it almost irritates me every time I go through something, whether it's like, you know, fears around pregnancy or, or all these kinds of crazy moves that we're doing now. And I just think, dang it, it's going to be another testimony, isn't it? You know, and it's kind of like you get, you're in the middle of a struggle and you're like, I know this is going to be useful. I know he's going to use it. And I know that's probably why it's happening. And um yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's bigger than us. And if anything, it's a confirmation that God, one is enough to get us through it. And two, that because of God we're enough to get through it, you know, we will be able to, to do it. He's not going to give us anything we can't get through. And that's, it kind of makes you feel like, you know, I'm a little bit more of a baller than I give myself credit for. Like me and God, we can do this, <laughs> you know? I was just say, doesn't
1: it make you feel strong? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like, Oh, I think we can take it on. You know, not that I'm I inviting. Mean, it's difficulty. So
1: much too, you know, like, yeah. doesn't it make you feel like sure. more equipped and stronger? Yeah. This crazy world.
0: Yeah. You know, yeah.
1: All the different things that come at you.
0: Totally. And then to be able to turn it around, which is what I want to talk about next to the work that you do with people. So I imagine that people just come to you bawling with their stories of what they've been through, what they're in, what they're seeing someone they love go through. How do you... What, I mean, what do you say to someone who comes up to you after you speak or something? And what is the encouragement? You gave us some, uh, like, the step there of go find that courage in you. But what is your advice, both getting through it emotionally and practically, for somebody in any kind of situation like this? I know it can be, you know, work, partners, parents, children, siblings, et cetera. It's varied. Yes. So uh,
1: I really appreciate this question, too, because I have I've found that, and, and don't take me wrong, but I found that there's like two kinds of people, okay, mm-hmm. so uh, it's like the tale of two people, right? So I get e- emails all the time, and the other day I literally got two back-to-back, and it was like this perfect example, like the tale of two humans. Um, one lady was just, just, again, pouring her heart out, and like I'm crying through it and, yeah. and everything. Uh, But she's seeking answers, right? Mm -hmm. And then the other one, um, the other human that had emailed me was saying, "Hey, you know," and basically was um, was sort of self-sabotaging, is how I call it. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like victim blaming—not victim blaming, but like blaming everyone
0: else—and
1: victimizing herself in a sense of like, "This has happened to me," and and whatnot, and while we all go through those moments we can't stay in those moments Mm -hmm. and so i've learned to discern per se you know because for a long time i couldn't deal with any negativity i was like i was like if you're got negativity like stay away from me you know (laughs) and now i've been given this ultimate privilege of saying this is how we can get out of our negativity um and dwell, you know with with this positive like you know outlook on life and so the the way I handle the one who's basically saying self-sabotage is I, I strictly direct them, you know, to therapy. Um, and I, I have a list of books, which I'd be happy to send you. Um, a few I can tell you off the top of my head. Um, so like Dr. Henry Cloud's book, um, you know, the boundaries book, um, a Beth Moore's book, Get Out of That Pit. That book saved my life. I probably did three readings of that before I finally moved out. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this book. It's not very well known. I don't think. But it's called If You Want to Get Out of the uh, If You Want to Get Out of the Boat, You Have to Walk on Water. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the you know it's the parable of Peter and how he got out and walked on water, but he had to get out of the boat to do yeah. so. Um, so there's a list of books that I send people. Um, but for the person that's truly seeking answers. I provide them with my steps so I have seven steps that got me out of where I got out of and I mean there's a lot of things to do but those seven steps seem to be the core of what I did Um, you know get out of your denial stop living in denial that you're in a bad circumstance stop people excuses the things I would tell people about my family that was so abnormal like oh it's okay and this is normal and whatever. So stop giving these excuses to the people around you and to yourself. Um, so get out of denial, uh, find your solutions. So books, people around you. We have been given this extensive amount of resources. I mean, gosh, you know, whether it's the library, your church library, the regular library, uh, people around you. Um, divine intervention is about those people that you surround yourself with too. I, I looking back on it, the miraculous, like, kinds of people that were there to help me through this path, it's fascinating when you look at all these different individuals. So tap into your resources, find your solutions, and then number three, take action. So take action on these answers that you've now found. It might be a little step, right? Like, I didn't just, like, move out. Like, yeah, I had that extenuating circumstance where he, you know, beat me up and I was like, I'm done and doubt the next day, but it was little steps I had taken. I mean, I was getting coffees with people, women that I saw that were successful that looked like I wanted to look in 10 or 15 years. Um, and I, I would take coffees with them. I essentially lied to the family and said, Hey, I'm, I'm doing a business meeting here, a business meeting there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, if I, in a sense, if that's what you have to do to get out of your situation. So Take little steps, baby steps, but do something. Because the more you do, the bigger your solutions will will be presented. Um, you know, number four, prepare for your wins and losses, right? So, like, you're going to start doing this stuff, but then you're going to have wins, great wins, and you're going to have great losses. Because, gosh, you've never done this before. Like, I was 29, I had at least a car on my own. I didn't know what car insurance looked like. You know, I didn't know how to go rent a, an apartment. I was 29. Most people have done this. They've gone to college. They've you know done all this stuff. Like, so yeah, it was quite embarrassing. But on the other hand, it was very empowering. Yeah. Um. So prepare for the fails that you're going to inevitably have and the embarrassing moments that you're never going to have, but also get ready for those wins. Because those aren't easy to take either. I mean, you've been used to living under this rock and living under this abusive situation. So get ready for some wins and prepare yourself for that. Because I didn't realize how hard it was to, like, actually be successful on certain things. (laughs) Because you're so used to kind of losing at life and then you're, like, successful. And you're, like, gosh, like, do I deserve this? And all those feelings start hitting. So prepare for the wins. And then number six is, like, when you got those wins, um, you're going to be starting to heal. So start your healing process. So I started seeing a therapist right away. And I cannot tell you um, how, how, that's like, for me, it's like giving, giving candy to a baby. It's like, you have to go to a therapist. Like, go, go get healed, right? So and find someone that has the, my therapist and I have this joke, because my first call to her was literally, I left a message saying, hi, I was referred to you by so-and-so. And I'm loving ease. And I'm Christian and I don't want to explain to you what either of those things is. So if you don't have any Lebanese clients that you've had to deal with their cultural issues, then please don't call me back because I don't want our <laughs> sessions to be about me explaining to you our cultural differences. Like literally, I was so like, <laughs> I up Um and she did it, you know, because she had Arabic clients. She said, you know, come on in. Like, you know, and I said, oh, and I said, and I don't want a shoulder to cry on because I have lots of friends. I want someone who can give me answers right now. <laughs> so um, she did. So find someone who can give you answers. But yeah, let the healing begin. Because um, the more the healing begins, the more success you'll have, the more you'll be able to let go of the past, move on into your future. And then number seven, I explained to people how you can't plateau. So basically, repeat. So repeat starting from number one. There's always gonna be an area in your life that you're gonna have to do those seven steps with and do those six steps with to move to the seventh and repeat it again. Um, Because we never wanna plateau and accept good enough is good enough. We always wanna be great in every area of our life um, and we always wanna keep improving and getting to the next step. Um, And then once you do that, you'll be surrounding yourself with those same types of people. Um, and so, yeah. So when people come to me and they email me, a, I discern, you know, are these can I help them? You know, am I qualified? Am I, um, you know, or are they kind of self sabotaging, where they need somebody, you know, bigger and better and greater? Um, and then no, number two is I try to just really explain these steps and and work through it with them. Um, and so when I do my speaking, you know, the the steps are there. I give them, you know, handouts to help explain it even more. Um, And then in my emails, I try to implement
0: those steps within the email streams Mm. that we're we're emailing back and forth. That's awesome, that's awesome. So how, I mean, you know, there's so many different kind of gradations of this, but what do you feel like would be some symptoms women should be looking for if they're in an abusive situation? And men of course as well, but just people being like, wait a second, wait a second. Um, What are some of the kind of telltale signs that you would list out Ooh, great question um so i need to uh email you
1: like a chart that you could maybe put yeah, with this totally but there's a chart that's on the, the website that I love that actually helped me through, National Center for Domestic Violence, um, which by the way, um, a certain percent of my profits from any speaking engagement, any book that's sold, goes to the National Center for Domestic Violence um, because they've helped me so much in my life. Um, if you go on their website and you try to chat with somebody, they have this like trick where you can press basically a certain button on your keyboard if somebody walks in that's abusing you mm-hmm. to close the screen out. Um, uh, and that's a just a, they're a fabulous resource. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, a few things to look for. Do you feel like your voice is heard? A. Um, mm-hmm. You know, are you able to speak your mind without feeling like you're being condescended to? Feeling like you're um, being put down, belittled? Um, and even if it's slight things. So like I give this example, my mom immigrated from Lebanon. And there was this constant, like, making fun of her from abuser one, her husband, who was abusing her. And it was, like, making fun of her accent or, like, no, let me make that phone call because they're not going to understand you because your accent. Or if we were in a group of friends, it would be that constant, like, biting comment about her accent. Like, oh, did you understand what she said? Ha ha. Mm -hmm. You know, so can you use your voice without feeling um, belittled, condescended to, or or um, negative in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have freedom, right? So, like, when you think about like a personal dating relationship. So, like, I'm married with two kids, and I was I was out last night. Um, my husband had met me. Uh, we, he stayed for an hour, but he hadn't seen the kids all day. So he's like, "I'm going home. You know, stay as long as you want. You know, come home." Mm-hmm. So, um, one of the people at the event was like, you know your phone is not blowing up and I was like what are you talking about they're like well like your husband hasn't texted you like when are you coming home and what are you doing and how long are you going to be I was like well he did text me but it was just this one thing so I pull out my phone and it was a picture of him with my kid and I was like that's about like all he texts me like he's not gonna like be like you know so do you have your freedom like you know can you go out without your boyfriend or significant other or girlfriend or whoever it is Mm -hmm. being like you know asking you a myriad of questions um, you know do you have the ability to um, you know whether it's gold places or do things within your house buy things so like groceries was a big one that was a big example that I use growing up my mom couldn't buy certain things it was this or that and I'm not talking about like a normal budget like a household budget I'm talking about like the control to the point of that um, work are you doing the job that you want you know so say you're in an abusive relationship at work like with a boss or a coworker. worker um, are you um, you know the easiest one is your voice being heard at the table are you able to present your ideas in a work environment but not only that there's this whole method that when you're at work you should be really doing what you love um, and so is your boss making you do things you know, that are not. And then in addition to that, you know, we're talking about this Me Too stuff and the, um, you know, the Time's Up movements, and and these are really relevant to like corporate America, but they're also relevant in smaller businesses. Mm. So, you know, any signs of abuse in a work environment, you know, a a tap on the butt, uh, a hand on the shoulder, you know, any flirtatious that isn't, you know, isn't something that you are looking for or asking for, um, you know, so there's a lot of examples in a work environment and there's a lot of examples in the personal profession, personal uh, relationships that I, that I present to people, you know, when I'm talking.
0: That's awesome. And I think, you know, with so many women, especially if they grew up in any kind of abusive environment or saw it, there's just this cycle of, Sure, it depends on individual personalities, et cetera. But in general, I think we're, we learn to not rock the boat. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't want to be the one who blows the whistle, who goes into the big boss to tell them about the little boss who did this to me. Um, and, and then if, and when we do take a small step, like just like you were saying, kind of rinse and repeat, it's so easy to fall back into some level of complacency that around the fact that, well, this over here hasn't been addressed, but we feel kind of like, well, I, I did something, I don't want to push it too far, you know, I'm just going to I'm just going to drop back. And um and it's so difficult because of how these things are ingrained when we're younger to break that cycle of of I don't know what you know, there's so many words we could use passivity, complacency, like fear, um, whatever, all these different things. So I think that that rinse and repeat concept is so important. It's just like any other area of our life. And it's not so much that we need to be on like a witch hunt for people around us, but even just self check, you know, and am I abusing other people? Is there anyone who I'm kind of taking advantage of having too many expectations on pushing too hard, whatever, but just looking at my relationship is all right and well, and then okay, move forward, you know, and just kind of doing that regular check, I think is is huge. So if there's well, a woman, oh, go. if
1: you don't mind my saying to yeah. be prepared for the backlash, so the yes. the, um, the whistleblower, right? Yep. So I haven't been invited to a family party in years. You know, yep. um, There's people that basically disassociated with me because of what I did, even when I moved out. There were friends that I thought were friends that are that chose that side because they'd rather live that lifestyle with my siblings and my parents um, than to take my side and defend me. Uh, my own siblings, you know, disown me. And, and mm-hmm. so being prepared for the backlash of speaking your voice. Um, and I have not been shy. Like over the years, social media, I've, I've used it as an outlet. Like this is the way it is. And I've had people like you know, as, as, as petty as like defriending me on social media sites and, um, or even like sending me emails like, well, you shouldn't be talking like that about your family. And, you know, silence is, is silence is so like normal now. It's like, don't even like say, it, you know, so be prepared for that whiplash or whatever from people around you when you do speak out.
0: Yeah, I think so too. And I mean, that and of course, there's the balance, and there's different topics and stuff. But that is the Christian life. Like we're running out around out there, basically offending people. Let's just be real. If we're spreading the yeah. gospel, that's what we do. <laughs> so yeah, true. You're and you need help. Um, and you and need, I need help. To have the answer. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I can only imagine with all that backlash and whatever environment this happens in, that relationship with God becomes just so important, you know, because. Um, and especially if this is happening in like a church environment or something where people who have been to you as, as if they were God, you know, like almost representative of God. And if you don't have that personal relationship where you're like, no, no, you know, I know I can feel his presence. I know the Holy Spirit's voice. This is not him. This is not okay. And even if you're telling me that he's displeased with me because of how I'm behaving, I know you're wrong. You know what I mean? So having that core. That yeah. core of truth in you is, is just essential. So oh, Christians were some of the biggest uh, uh,
1: adversaries, <laughs> to be honest with you. Like, oh, oh, man. you know, this and that. So judgmental, you know. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right.
0: Yeah, it's like the is it was it Gandhi or someone who said, "I, I like your Jesus, but not your Christians." You know. So, it's, <laughs> yes. watch watch the just the norms that we get caught in doing anything in secular culture and family cultures and church culture. Just like, wait a second, wait a second, is this what Christ is asking us to do, um, so if there's a woman who is stuck, you know who's who's listening to this and is, is maybe not in a overt abusive relationship, but she's just like something needs to shift, and I need to get my courage up, I need to know where to begin, you know more so than steps this time, what would you say to like like a warrior princess kind of cry? What would you say to her? to give her, help her find that courage inside to, even if it's just like, look, we're fighting and I need to get my husband to go to marriage counseling and that's probably all we'll need or whatever it may be. Where can she find that strength? What would you say? So some of the,
1: some of the most powerful, um, things that caused me to change and, and, and that warrior princess that you're talking about, um, was literally to look at, so history, so who, you know, who do we respect? Who do we, um, what is history going to say about us? Right. So like life is so, I don't know how to say it, but it's like life is so fragile and so short. And so like, what is your legacy going to be? Do you want, you know, the future you you know the future generation so say you have kids you know for me it was like i needed to heal for my kids i needed to heal because i wanted to leave a mark on society i wanted to make a difference and i can't make a difference living in this um in this sad um uh oppressive so it's very oppressive to be abused mm-hmm. and so looking outside of that and and sort of dreaming your dream seems so unreal. Um, But I'm here to say on the other side of it, it's as real as real can be. And so for me, I read a lot about, you know, because reading is something that as an abused person, at least in my situation with all the abuse I had, was at least something I could still do. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of people can't. access on your phone. If they're, if they're watching your phone, then the library or, you know, um, there's so many resources to read about. But sort of that vision of, of looking at that vision. So in the Bible it says, without a vision my people perish. Mm-hmm. And it's because they perish because they have no future to look forward mm-hmm. to. Um, so I knew what I wanted. And I knew I couldn't get that under this oppression. Um, and so that's what I would encourage women, men, children um, to look at, is like you are you are made for more than this. You are made to be something bigger than this. Your destiny, there's a song um, that was like my, my rally cry. I went to a, a youth thing, and uh, they had this song, it's like, I have a destiny, I know I will fulfill, I have a destiny, um, and it is God's will or something, and it was like all about your destiny, so for me, the heart cry, the rally cry is know that you're made for more than this, you are bigger than this, despite how they make you feel, um, and look at the future, and what do you want that to look like, and although it looks like right now you have your future, um, that Positive, that whole line of positive thinking actually works like mm. and and god is there and trust me when i say that he is alive and well and he will literally get you to that point mm. that's i guess the best i could give you for that one
0: <laughs> that'll do <laughs> that's, that's a good one to end on thank you so much for this jojo i mean i think Because of what we talked about, so many people in these situations, even if they escape it, are terrified to speak out, you know, terrified to describe what they went through, to describe the process of getting out, to talk about what it's like now. it takes an extraordinary person to do that. Even things I've been through, I'm kind of choosy with how do I tell that story to not really reveal those people, you know? And so the boldness that's required to paint the picture that then allows somebody who's just fumbling around in the dark, thinking this isn't right, but I don't know what to do. And maybe it is right because they keep telling me I should be grateful or whatever, you know, um, I can't thank you enough for what you're doing and thank you for being here. Where can women find you? Where can we find your book? I know we said on Amazon, but your website, where can people connect with what you're doing?
1: Wonderful. Uh, my website is my name.com. So it's Jojo dries, J O J O dries D as in David R I E S dot com Um, i'm on facebook i'm on linkedin i'm on instagram and i'm on twitter my twitter isn't as active as the rest of my social media um, but I'm very, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I, I need to be more active on twitter i'd like to be more active on twitter but everything else is very quite active um, awesome the and thank you jackie um i really appreciate being on here it's an honor um our vibe really was just there from the beginning and you are doing amazing things i've been talking a lot about you uh, to so many people and god bless you and all the work that you're doing as well
0: thank you yeah i think it's uh, it's a sisterhood of women out there who are like yes. you know what Let's go yes. do something. So yes,
1: Amen, here's to
0: that. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you, Jojo. It's such a pleasure. Ladies, go check out her stuff. I mean, what a force of nature doing really important and difficult work. So support her, if nothing else, by that book and, um, and start spreading the words that she's spreading to people who need to hear it perhaps through you. So thanks, Jojo. I know we'll talk again soon. Bye-bye. Talk again soon. Bye-bye. Today's episode is brought to you by the Bombshell Manifesto. The Bombshell Manifesto is a two time number one best selling book, and it's where I really teach the philosophy of the biblical bombshell. After spending years in ministry and now more years running my life coaching business, I see so many young women and even women well into their lives just floundering and kind of flopping around in some of the essential areas of God created femininity such as their relationship with God, their relationship with their bodies, their relationship with men, with sex, with beauty, with their finances. And I just don't think we have time for that. I think that we are called to do such big things for God while we're here. We've got to get these areas under control, locked on, so we can move forward toward our exciting assignments and massive callings in life. So in this book, I really give you the behind the scenes of my personal journey, struggling with what God was calling me to be as a woman going back and forth around the over-sexualized ideas of femininity, or the completely asexual versions we often see in the church, where we're not supposed to talk about that tough stuff. I lead you through the research and the history around the concept of a bombshell, a few personal visions and ideas I have around it, and then the scripture that God puts in front of us as how he wants us to understand the important role we play as women. Do you know that a woman was the way that the Savior came into the world and was the first evangelist of his resurrection and then ascension. This is a big deal, ladies. So hop over to bombshellmanifesto.com. Now you can find this book on Amazon, but if you go through bombshellmanifesto.com, I've got a couple extra fun free bonuses and ways that you can actually get free trainings and audios that take this whole concept deeper. We walk through the 12 pillars of a biblical bombshell addressing tough areas of life like opening to vulnerability and intimacy, understanding beauty and God's calling for it, getting deeper into our confidence and our security, committing to a relationship with God that blows our minds and more. What I see so much from women and hear from them, and quite frankly, I hear it from men who are looking for a woman to marry or they want their wife to come alive in the way they know that she can, is that there's some kind of tapped in femininity that is out there, that is possible, but that's incredibly difficult to find. Women long to be it, men long to find it, and this is the calling we have as women. This is what we're able and even asked to step into, required I would say to step into, to live out everything God has for us. But I see so many women who are stuck in mediocrity and are told that that kind of complacency is contentment and that's where they should stay and they should just be happy with it and you know, that's life. I don't think that's what God's asking. I don't think that's what we're here to do. And I don't think we have any more time to waste. So join me over at bombshellmanifesto.com. Let's light this thing on fire. Let's get out into the world and do what we're supposed to do. Do what we can do. Be fully who God has called us to be. The bottom line is this. The entire world is obsessed with women, and they should be, that's the way it's designed. We are the ones who continue life, who continue the human race. We are always going to be attracting people's attention, we are always going to be shaping human beings, shaping culture, and pointing people toward something. The question is, what are we pointing them toward? Have we completely released and activated every area of our God-designed femininity to do those things well? I hope you'll join me. I think there's no more important calling on this earth as a woman than to live out her full God-given design and to use it to point people to Him. So let's get this thing started. Let's set ourselves free, let's set our families free, and let's light the world ablaze with the truth that is only in the gospel. I'll see you at BombshellManifesto.com.